Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast, downloaded over half a million times in over 145 countries and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. In today's episode, episode 186, we discuss epilepsy and hiking. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. In episode 163 and 164, we discussed hiking with injuries and disabilities. But where does epilepsy fit into the mix, given that up to 3 to 3.5% of Australians will experience epilepsy at some point in their lives? In this episode, we bring you a number of segments. First up, we talked to Carol Island, the CEO of Epilepsy Action Australia, about her organisation, the impact that epilepsy has on physical activities such as hiking, and provide an overview of their upcoming fundraising hike in August on the Larapinta Trail that will take place from the 16th to the 22nd of August. In addition, we'll be catching up with Nicole, who participated in the Great Wall of China hike uh, for Epilepsy Action Australia in 2014. Now, Nicole suffers from epilepsy and will be able to give us an upfront and personal insight of the considerations and management involved when undertaking a physical activity such as hiking. So let's catch up with Epilepsy Action Australia CEO, Carol Island. Carol, thank you for taking your time to talk with Australian Hiker. Oh, it's a pleasure, Tim. It's, it's actually great to have the Australian Hiker podcast supporting our latest fundraising campaign. Before we talk about epilepsy and the potential impacts on uh, activities such as hiking, tell us a bit about Epilepsy Action Australia and your role with the organisation. Oh, Tim, I've been with Epilepsy Action Australia for some 15 years. (laughs) So it's an organisation I feel very, very passionate about. Um, I'm the Chief Executive Officer and I'm also a Managing Director of the organisation. So I started my career a long, long way back as a rehabilitation counsellor. So I've been working with people with special needs, disabilities, healthcare conditions my whole career. Um, Now, Epilepsy Action is a national organisation it delivers a range of different services. So we support the person with epilepsy directly or the parent of a child with epilepsy. We have a team of very specialised epilepsy nurses and we can assist with all sorts of things like seizure management, advice on medication, um, assisting with school, all sorts of things that are direct supports to the person with epilepsy. But we also offer education into the community. So we have both an online and a face-to-face education and training service where we will deliver that training into the community wherever it's needed. That might be schools, disability care homes, uh, nurses in general, the general nursing group. Um, wherever it's needed, we'll actually provide that education and we also invest in some pretty important research. Okay, now something you just raised then, 
Before we talk about epilepsy specifically, I mean, what actually is it? Is it is it a, a condition or is it a disease? How, how, you, how do you normally refer to it? That's a really good question. <laughs> now, it is defined as a disease, and that's in fairly recent terms by the International League Against Epilepsy, you know, the international body. Um, a lot of people with epilepsy don't like it uh, being called a disease, and certainly it used to be known as a neurological condition. But by definition, it is a disease. Now, it, it's an interesting one to explain because everybody's heard of epilepsy. And um, I think it almost should be called epilepsies, plural. There are so many different kinds of epilepsy. Now, what a seizure is, and this is how we best explain what epilepsy is, what a seizure is, is a disruption to the normal electrochemical activity in the brain. So if you can imagine, we've all got these little neurons and they're firing all the time with messages going across our brain and there's some sort of a disruption. That's what happens when there's a seizure. Now, a lot of people have seizures in their life. They're not all diagnosed with epilepsy. And I'll give you a really common example. You might have heard of, you know, very, very young babies having a seizure and it could be temperature related. That doesn't mean they've got epilepsy. But if the person or the child has multiple recurrent seizures and there's no obvious reason like high temperature or perhaps alcohol or something like that, there's no obvious reason, they're most likely going to be diagnosed with epilepsy. Very, very complex condition. Now, I was going to say, just I'll just interrupt you there. You know, you're talking about children with having seizures. When is epilepsy normally diagnosed? Does it tend to be a, a childhood sort of thing or can it happen at any stage throughout life? Yeah, it can absolutely happen at any stage. I guess to answer that fully, um, let me just say there are multiple types of seizures and multiple types of epilepsy syndromes, something like 40 or more epilepsy types and syndromes. Um, some of those epilepsies are caused by accident. So, you know, a, a bump to the head, a, a brain injury. And if you think about that, that literally can happen at any point in life. Um, you know, it could be uh, in the birthing process, it could be a car accident, could be a sporting accident. Any time in life that somebody has a head injury, they may end up being diagnosed with epilepsy. But then there are different kinds. There are also genetic forms of epilepsy. And, um, you know, many children are diagnosed with genetic forms of epilepsy. And they're also what we call comorbidities. In other words, the epilepsy occurs in combination with another condition. Um, so if I just speak to each of those, when I'm talking about genetic epilepsies, you know, you can and do see it run in families. Um, and, and very often childhood is when that epilepsy would manifest. Um, what, um, what we do often see, though, is epilepsy occurring at the other end of life, you know, when people are ageing. And it's typically with things like stroke, something like a stroke um, could also cause epilepsy. Things like brain tumour can cause epilepsy. So anything that affects the brain could lead to epilepsy. Um, there are m many kinds of epilepsies that do occur in childhood and some of them you can actually grow out of. They literally burn out and then as an adult, the person doesn't have seizures any longer. But unfortunately, most epilepsies are lifelong. Okay. And I think, you know, when, when, when I think of epilepsy, I have visions of violent seizures. Is that the typical or is it, does it range? Yeah, that, that type of seizure you're talking about used to be called a grand mal seizure. 
Um, and, and, you know, in translation, that means big sickness. Um, it's not called a grand mal anymore. It's actually called a tonic-clonic seizure, and that's a convulsive seizure. I think it's the one p- most people would recognise. And, you know, somebody falls to the ground, they lose consciousness, they're usually shaking quite uncontrollably. And, um, you know, we all recognise that one. However, it's not even the most common type of, of epilepsy or type of seizure. There are more subtle seizures. I mean, there's there's something called absence seizures. And it's like mini absences in consciousness, but the person's actually looking at you, talking to you, and then might just, I just did that to illustrate, pause for a few seconds. And, and they're actually having an absence seizure. They're not aware they're doing it. Um, and, and that's, you know, as I said, much more subtle. But you can imagine if you're having those sorts of seizures and you're a child at school and you're missing a few seconds worth of information on a regular basis, you soon fall behind at school and the like. Um, the most common kind of, of epilepsy, though, is, is interesting. It's, it's a partial seizure as opposed to the full brain being affected and a, something called a complex partial seizure where somebody might be making strange repetitive movements of their body or their mouth, their face. Um, It's actually manifesting quite strange behaviours. Again, the person doesn't know that they're actually doing them. Um, So it's quite complex and a lot of them aren't recognised. Tim, as you can imagine, you know, we've had some terrible stories of one mum I remember was actually on the bus. She couldn't drive. She had epilepsy on the bus and she was going to pick up her child at school and she was having these these partial seizures and the bus driver had the police called saying she was under the influence of alcohol. You know, it, it, there was something strange about the behaviour. So they're not all recognised. Okay. Now, I suppose this sort of brings us on to something a bit more uh, in, in practical, if you like. So how does epilepsy impact on an active lifestyle? Uh, I mean, can a person have what you'd class as a normal life, for want of a better term? Yeah, Tim, a lot of, a lot of people with epilepsy can and do live very full lives. Now, this is important to talk here a little bit, I think, about the, the treatments for epilepsy. So typically, the first-line treatment for epilepsy is medication, and there are a range of medications available. So about 70% of people with epilepsy are successfully treated with medication. And that doesn't mean they're cured, but they get quite good seizure control from the medication. It might be one tablet or it might be a combination of tablets. You know, there might be more than one attempt to find the right medication. But as I said, around 70% will get reasonably good seizure control. Now, you know, that, that means that these people are at school managing quite well, in the workforce managing quite well, doing things that everyone else can do. Um, It doesn't mean they're cured, as I said, and they may at some stage have a breakthrough seizure. They may have some side effects of medication. You know, there are still things to manage, but all in all, their seizures are fairly well controlled. Now, for the other 30%, um, it's a totally different story. Um, The other 30% of people um, have tried probably multiple medications and they really haven't controlled their seizures. And we call this intractable epilepsy or drug-resistant epilepsy, and it definitely is the really hard, you know, it's the hard end of epilepsy. And, you know, when you talk about impact on life, 
Um, if you can't control your seizures or your child's seizures, and if those seizures are very frequent, um, you know, it really does impact on every aspect of life. And we, we certainly at the hard end, you know, we assist some people who they or their children have multiple seizures a day, every day. And in some of the really significant syndromes, you know, that will have an effect on cognitive, you know, their cognitive abilities and and just impact every area, including, you know, anxiety, depression, all sorts of things can arise from that end of epilepsy. So the really important thing is to do everything within um, within the doctor's power and their power to get reasonable control of their seizures. So with you know, I'm I'm thinking something like here. When I go hiking, I I do all sorts of different types of hiking. Quite often it's with my wife. Quite often it's short distance, uh, and 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 typically it's within reach of civilization, I suppose. But I also have the other extreme where I will go bush, for want of a better term, and I might be twenty or thirty kilometres from uh, the nearest person mm-hmm. and not have phone signal or communication. So I can imagine if you you've got a, a degree of epilepsy that isn't able to be controlled, that you might actually need to not do a a hike like that by yourself. You may have to say, well, I'm going to have to have someone come with me just in case. Mm, mm. Definitely some practical considerations there, um, Tim. And, you know, it comes down to every individual and the type of epilepsy they have, the amount of control of the seizures that, that you know, they've been able to achieve. Um, you know, a lot of people say we don't want epilepsy to define us. You know, I'm a person. I'm a person with epilepsy. I'm not an epileptic. We, we really don't like that term at all. And, um, you know, for some people, though, that consideration of whether to do something alone or not is really, really important. I mean, hiking deserves its own consideration. But let me give you another example of an activity that's highly dangerous, and that's water activity, swimming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Swimming and and you know we would always recommend that a person with epilepsy does not go out into the ocean or the swimming pool alone. Um, you know it's there's a lot of people have in fact um, drowned or nearly drowned and that's a very dangerous activity. But we'd never say to them don't ever go in the water. It's about the precautions you need to take and you know and making a really good judgment um, in terms of hiking. Um, if your seizures aren't extremely well controlled, then yes, you're better to be with someone. But that might be the case for many of us. You know, it's it's better to be out there with some companionship. Um, ideally, the person that you're with should know seizure first aid, you know, so in the event of an, a seizure, what to do. Um, Safety is paramount, obviously, if you have epilepsy. Yeah, and I, I was actually thinking about that. I mean, you know, I... I the, the the common thought or practice with hiking is you're hiking groups of fours, you know, and the idea being that if someone injures themselves, someone will stay with them and two people will, will walk out to get help if need be so no one's ever left alone. Now, that was the way it used to be, and then certainly solo hiking is something I do quite often, um, but I tend to um, make sure I have the appropriate equipment. I've got satellite communications equipment, so... Uh, in you know, in most cases, providing I'm conscious, I can get help. But you know, I, I, as I say, I think if uh, if you've got a serious um, uh, level of epilepsy, uh, as you say, doing it by yourself may not be an option that you you, you can really do safely. It's really about analysing the risk, isn't it? If if you're somebody that has 
a well-controlled epilepsy and you haven't had epilepsy for, haven't had a seizure, I should say, for a very long time, you know, you may feel more confident in doing things alone. Um, but but certainly if that, se- that epilepsy is not well controlled, if you're likely to have seizures, then we wouldn't recommend that somebody do that alone. And, you know, a, a really good idea to make sure that whoever's with you actually also knows about seizure first aid. Okay. Now, I believe you've got an upcoming fundraising hike, um, and this is actually the second one you've run. So the the upcoming one's on the Larapinta Trail in Australia's Northern Territory. Um, But before we touch base on that, I believe the first one that you did was the Great Wall of China? It is quite some years ago now, but um, we certainly did. And um, I actually went along myself on that, so that was really a great experience for me. Uh, and what what was what was the reason for these hikes, and um, you know, why why hiking? Why not something else? Ah, oh, well, look, hiking hiking is a great outdoor activity, and gee, I think particularly right now, um, in this this COVID environment we're in, gee, a lot of people are just wanting to get out and about, aren't they? If they're not in lockdown, they want to get out and they want to feel the country, and it's a nice, healthy thing to do. I know that when um, I did the Great Wall of China with a, a number of colleagues, colleagues, and also people with epilepsy that you know we call clients, um, when we did that, it was not only a great outdoor experience and a great travel experience it was such a team building experience you know it was really terrific and we did travel with people who had epilepsy and indeed had had seizures while we were traveling Um, but just overall a really really positive experience so we rely a great deal on the community to fund our services Um, you know we we don't receive a great deal of money from government or corporate Australia, it's generous people in the community that tend to fund our services. And they do it in a whole different way, you know, ream of ways that that they do that for us. Some just give a donation, but some people love to do something active like this. And as I say, there are all those benefits too about meeting other people and just building some real long-term friendships. Okay, so your upcoming uh, walk is obviously in Australia, with uh, you know international travel being pretty much hamstrung at the moment, and you're <laughs> yeah. doing you're doing the Larapinta Trail. Tell us a bit about that hike. Yeah, so well, we've got a, a group of people heading off in August. And, um, you know, we think it'll be the, the adventure of a lifetime. I haven't um, myself done the Larapinta Trail, but from what I understand, you know, it's, it's fantastic. I've been to Northern Territory, but um, just not the trail itself. So we've called it Hike for Epilepsy. And the challenge covers really some exciting parts of the, the well-known Larapinta Track. And it takes participants through Alice Springs and into the wilderness. And, um, you know, we we understand that participants really gain a deeper understanding of the, the spiritual and the cultural essence of Australia. As you say, we are right at the moment pretty much confined to Australia. But what a land we have, you know, one that's been inhabited by Aboriginal people for more than 50,000 years. So we're better to be confined at this point. So, you know, p- participants are going to hear from the Aranda elders on the history of the area and they'll be able to immerse themselves in the landscapes and you know go to historic Alice Springs and get some of the wonderful Australian bush as they walk some really loved bushwalking trails. Okay and that's uh, what were the dates for that uh, hike again? It's the 16th to the 22nd of August. And I believe you're still looking for some people to, to join the trip? 
We sure are. We've got some committed hikers that have signed up and they're in training and they're also in fundraising, but we're certainly looking to to fill some other places. Now, from what I understand from talking to other people at your organisation, this will be hiking for a number of days, but returning back to accommodation uh, or, or, or glamping style campsites uh, in the evening. That does sound right. I understand there's um, twin share accommodation in four star hotels and very comfortable campsites, Tim. Now, in relation to that hike, I'll go through and put the links in the show notes uh, that have all the details, costings, itinerary, the whole lot. So if anyone's interested in joining on that trip or helping out with that, um, you'll, you'll be able to go through and get all those details on the show notes. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, now, just to finish up, um, if people want to get involved with your organisation, what can they do to help out apart from the Lara Penta hike? Sure. Well, if they don't have that thirst for hiking, Tim, there's lots of things that people can do with us. Um, we we run a number of community fundraising events at different times throughout the year. So one of our big ones is Purple Day, which is held in March every year, and people do all sorts of things, purple picnics and dyeing their hair purple and all sorts of things. And this next year, in, in 2022, is actually our 70th anniversary Um, of delivering services to people with epilepsy. So we're going to be really promoting that. And people can register and get involved um, even now. But as well as that, people choose to do all sorts of different things. So sometimes if somebody's having a birthday coming up, they may decide that they're going to ask their friends and family to actually donate, um, you know, to, to Epilepsy Action. And they do particular little community functions around that. Um, there's all kinds of things that people do. And if you go on our website, you know, you can have a look and then you could speak to somebody in the organisation about ways you can get involved. Um, we also have obviously a range of ways that people can just donate to us. And sometimes people like to donate to help research. We've got a particular program that's around research and we call that our research advocates where people make donations and we tell them about some of our really key research projects. Um, There's just a whole range of ways. Sometimes people are volunteer speakers for us. They go to their own local rotaries and lions clubs and so on and they speak on behalf of Epilepsy Action Australia. We provide some notes and and so on and they actually do little little speaking gigs for us. So we rely a great deal on, on volunteers and on generosity from the community and we don't charge our clients in other words people with epilepsy or parents of children with epilepsy there are no charges for our essential services and our our registered nurses our team of nurses across australia provide really invaluable support but this is how we fund it but basically through the generosity of the community now is there any final thing you wanted to say about epilepsy action australia or the larapinta trip itself one of the questions we're asked is, you know, if I have epilepsy, can I can I go on a trek? Can I go on this trek? Um, and the answer is absolutely yes. Um, when when we did do the Great Wall of China some years ago, a large number of the people who came along had epilepsy. Most of them well controlled, um, but we did see seizures on that um, on that trek. Uh, so absolutely yes, we do look for a doctor's clearance. We do put in some safety things. We just make sure that you know people are are protected. Um, there is medical support along the way, 
So absolutely, somebody with epilepsy can participate, but you don't have to have epilepsy to participate. Just an interest in the cause and, you know, want to go on a great hike. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, Carol, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you tonight. Uh, it's been my pleasure, Tim. I've really loved chatting with you and I hope some of your listeners um, decide they'd like to join us on the trek. All right, so that was a great interview there from Carol. Uh, and uh, I must admit, I, like probably a lot of people, have preconceptions about what epilepsy is. You you imagine the the big obvious fits of people falling to the ground. Um, and uh, and it's very obviously not that with uh, epilepsy being caused by a number of different um conditions, whether it be uh, genetic or whether it be some other uh, disease that's causing the problem. Uh, the other thing that I learned and that, that did surprise me was that three to three and a half percent of Australians will have epilepsy or be impacted by epilepsy directly uh, throughout their life. And that, that to me, it doesn't sound a lot, but it, it's, it's a lot when you think about it. Yeah, that's right. And I think the other thing that stood out for me is the different sorts of impacts uh, that it, ha it has on people. Um, so, you know, uh, Carol mentioned the sort of traditional view that most of us might have about, as you say, Tim, somebody falling to the ground and having a seizure, but there are a whole range of different um, implications, I guess, when um, the condition is not being managed well and it can be managed well and I think that that was the other sort of key thing that came out for me that you know while they're organizing these um, hikes uh, for people with this condition to go out into the wilderness um, you know there's a lot of support and there's a lot of care and there's a lot of focus on um, managing and being able to do these sorts of activities well. And when we get into our next interview, uh, we'll talk with someone, as we mentioned, who has epilepsy and the, and how they manage that condition, particularly in relation to physical activities such as hiking. I suppose really from here is um, Epilepsy Action Australia, as we mentioned, are running a trip on uh, the Larapenta Trail. They call it Hike for Epilepsy. Uh, and that is from the 16th to the 22nd of August of this year. Uh, and it's not the whole track. Um, it's uh, uh, cherry-picking some of the really good bits of the track. We'll talk about that more And not having moment. to walk to the good bits yeah. <laughs> in some cases. I noticed that Mount Sonda was there and there's a, there's a, a transfer, a uh, euphemism for, I'm sure, some kind of vehicle. But, uh, yeah, that's the way to go. I, and I think, you know, this is just a great opportunity for um, people who um, – want to connect with um, a group of people who are doing something that's uh, going to be worthwhile. So if you're a hiker, you know, we'd encourage you to go on the trip. Uh, if you're someone with a condition, um, go on the trip. And if you're someone who has a family member um, who has the condition, go on the trip. Now, certainly from, uh, for, from our perspective, Lara Penta Trail is um, um, a seminal trail for us. Loved it, um, loved it, loved yeah, it. It was, it was the first uh, on-trail podcast that we did. Um, uh, there, 
the image on the front page of our website is from the Larapinta Trail, and that'll give you an indication of the sort of landscape that you can see in that sort of area. Uh, and yeah, it's it's one of the very few trails that I actually want to go back and do it a second time. Uh, I think you know it's it's really uh, my my view is that uh, there are too many trails in this world to do do more do things more than once. But I think this is this is certainly a trail that I will get back to and revisit again. Now, as we mentioned, this track is for this this trip is for seven days, um, and if you go to the show notes for this podcast, episode one hundred and eighty six, we'll have the link to the full details. But as mentioned, you get to do some of the highlights, um, and you're not just doing walking; uh, you're also having a cultural experience as well. And you've got, as an indication, uh, return shuttle transfers, uh, all transfers included in the itinerary, uh, air-conditioned vehicles, twin share accommodation, either in four-star hotels or comfortable campsites, uh, accredited first trade um, uh, people on the the trip with you, uh, camping equipment. Um, So there's an awful lot included, um, including some cultural experience as well. You've got... um, uh, some Aboriginal cooking as part of the the experience as well. So it's not just going on a hike. I think the thing with Larapinta, um, from my perspective, I the arid landscapes for me are my favourite landscapes. Uh, and as I said, certainly uh, Larapinta is probably the pick uh, of the the arid hikes in this country. Uh, but I think it's it's a good opportunity uh, to cherry pick the best of this hike. Uh, to do it in a bit of a, a luxury style, you will be walking though, uh, and there are some days that are anything up to sort of 16 kilometres long, but you're not trying to do that in one or two hours. You typically have the whole day to do those sort of distances. Yeah, and I think, you know, probably more importantly is what you'll learn along the way by being surrounded by um, people. If you're not familiar with this uh, condition, um, you know, you will – get some first-hand information around uh, what it's like and, you know, it is a fundraiser so if you can afford it, um, you know, that's kind of a good contribution that you're going to be making as well to something that's really important. And Carol did say that, you know, uh, for a lot of these groups, um, a a lot of these uh, conditions uh, that are supported by uh, these not-for-profits, um, they don't get a lot of money and they don't get a lot of support from uh, government or the traditional sources. So th- this is an opportunity for all of us to help out. Now, from a, a fundraising perspective, if you look at the itinerary that uh, we'll provide the link to, it does talk about having done all the fundraising before the trip, um, but they are realistic about this. They realise, particularly if you're signing up for this trip late, uh, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that, uh, and they they are happy for you to do the fundraising post-trip. Um, as Carol said, this is a, a way of funding their organisation and what they do. Um, like many worthy organisations, there's a limit to where they can get funding from, uh, and this is a good opportunity for them to support them. So if you have any questions, again, we'll put the contact information for this uh, and you can give them a call and find out some more details if uh, all the links that we provide in the show loads don't provide it all for you.
In our next interview, we talk to Nicole, who has epilepsy and has previously undertaken a similar hike. And today we talk to her about the impacts of doing a trip from the perspective of someone needing to manage this condition. Nicole, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today about epilepsy and hiking. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's great to talk to you today. Now, first up, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Do you consider yourself a hiker? And if so, what sort of hiking do you do? Um, I don't think I consider myself a hiker. (laughs) I do enjoy hiking if there's something at the end of it, like a beautiful view or a waterfall or something. I love that sort of hiking. But it is not something I partake in on a regular basis. So it's more of a holiday thing. It's clear my head and see something new. All right. Now we we've talked. We previously talked to Carol Island from Epilepsy Action Australia, uh, and she was. We were talking about the potential allowances you need to take when undertaking an adventure activity such as hiking. Now, I believe you have epilepsy, so when you're doing an adventure activity, from an epilepsy perspective, though, um, if you're, you know, you, we'll talk about this in a moment, you've done a, an overseas trip with uh, Epilepsy Action Australia a few years ago, but from that yeah. perspective, um, what do you, is there anything that you might have to think about having epilepsy that the average traveller wouldn't? Right, so um, I think the big things are, how long are you traveling? Um, the trip that I did with Epilepsy Action Australia to China was, I believe it was 10 days. Um, and you need to know exactly how long you're traveling and then make leeway in case you get stuck there for whatever reason, your flight's delayed, you get injured and you're in hospital over there and it extends your trip. You need to make sure that you have all of your medications with you and enough to last if something unexpected does occur um pacing is something that people with chronic illness will definitely be familiar with and that's making sure that your energy expenditure isn't going to put you in harm's way a lot of people including myself um when they increase their activity it can affect blood sugars um and for me that can actually cause me to have focal seizures or absent seizures or petty mal seizures, whatever term you're most familiar with. Um, So I have to be aware of that. I have to have things with me on my person all the time to make sure that if I end up in that situation, I can remedy that. Um, Knowing where you're travelling, but in a much more detailed way is really important. If I have a seizure in the middle of, you know, Melbourne, I can look around and I can identify landmarks and I can roughly tell people where I am, what's happened, what's going on. But if I'm in the middle of China, I'm not necessarily going to be familiar with that. So knowing your itinerary, knowing where you're going to be so that if something does happen, you know where you are and you can kind of reorient yourself. I think that's super important as well. Um vaccinations can get a bit complicated. Um, I don't know anyone personally, but I have heard of cases where people have not been able to have vaccinations to travel overseas because it can interact or affect their medications. Um, So that's something else to really consider. Food is another one. Um, There are certain foods that people with epilepsy cannot have because of the way they interact with medications. The big one that most people will know about is grapefruit. 
um, tends to affect the efficacy of your medications. So um, knowing what you're going to have to eat, making sure that those things are all suitable to you is um, another really, really important thing when travelling or, or engaging in any kind of adventure activity. I must admit that's, that's raised a couple of things. I think uh, grapefruit seems to be the evil fruit. I, um, I've got relatives who have uh, heart conditions and their medication, uh, basically they can't eat grapefruit, so it seems to be one that triggers a lot of uh, issues with a number of medications. Um, but also the I hadn't actually thought about the uh, the blood sugar levels. I uh, from a hiking perspective, I I am conscious of that. That you know, if I if I run out of uh, of energy, I just come to a grinding halt and that's it. I just stop and eat and I'm fine. Um, but I hadn't actually thought about it from a perspective of um, of impacting someone with epilepsy as well. That uh, um, uh, that you know, it, it just did not occur to me. That's, honestly, it didn't to me either um, until I took up taekwondo again. And I noticed that I was having a lot of my smaller seizures where I don't fully lose consciousness, my absent seizures, when I was doing my Taekwondo. So I had to start taking something to keep my blood sugar up halfway through. So that so it wasn't something that really occurred to me either. And I was diagnosed, we're looking at close to 20 years ago now. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely not something most people think about. So is, had, was that something that you that you were aware of could have been an issue or it just it, it, it did surprise you? No, it did actually surprise me. And when we were in China, I did have an issue with that. I got very dizzy um, and faint and started having a few seizures, uh, little petty mal seizures, focal seizures. Um, and the doctor that was on the trip with us, just to make sure that we were all safe, um, he did my blood sugars and was like, yeah, they're not, they're not good. They're very low. You need to have something to eat. And we just had to kind of stop and rest. Um, and unfortunately on a trip like that, it means that the whole group has to stop and rest. Um, so sorry about that, but yeah, so I didn't really put together that it was the sugars causing the seizures though, until I experienced it again, as I said, when I went back to Taekwondo. And, and is that something that is going to affect most epileptics or is it is it something that's just individual to the type of epilepsy that you've got? Um, it's not individual to my type of epilepsy, definitely not. I do know several other people that have that symptom, um, but it really does depend on the person. So I could have exactly the same epilepsy type as Joe Blow down the street and he might have completely different triggers and completely different symptoms than what I have. Um, and be managed with completely different medications. So um, each person is very different. It's definitely a case-by-case basis. All right. Well, that's, that's certainly probably been the biggest learning from my perspective. I I would probably think about that with something like diabetes, but not with lep- epilepsy. So uh, that's, that's, oh, okay. de- that's definitely definitely something that I wasn't aware of. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess most people probably aren't. Now, uh, Epilepsy Action Australia is running a trip to the Larapenta Trail in August of this year. Now, I believe you undertook a similar trip with them a few years ago. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, Correct. That was the um, Great Wall of China trek for Epilepsy Action Australia, and that that was an incredible adventure. Um, absolutely stunning to go and see those places and, you know, Tiananmen Square and it was just, it was fabulous. Um, great group of people. Uh, we all got along really, really well and, yeah, it was just fantastic. Uh, it was the first time I had met 
Carol Ireland, the CEO of Epilepsy Action Australia as well. So that was really lovely too, to actually meet her in person. All right. And um, and so basically you were, you, how much of the wall did you do? Did it, was it a, a, a one big section or you did a number of different sections along the, the, the wall itself? Yeah, so we spent um, one day doing one section and then the next day we would, you know, maybe go somewhere else. Like I said, we, we did visit Tiananmen Square while we were there as well and a couple of other um, significant locations. Um, and then we would, you know, hop on a bus and, and head to a new location and, and trek a, a different section of the wall. So we got to see many areas of it, some places very highly populated by tourists, other places barren. We were the only people there. So um, it was really, really good. It was really interesting. I suppose that's the thing with a, with a, with a lot of tourist destinations like that. Everyone goes to one particular area or a couple of particular areas, which are the tourist traps. But for you know, for a, a a wall that is so long, I'm sure there's you could probably spend months exploring it if you're willing to willing to go a bit of distance. So it sounded like it was quite an interesting trip. Oh, it was absolutely fascinating. Just the sheer size of it blew my mind, honestly. Um, so yeah, no, but you're right. Um, there were definitely sections that were well known. There were people there selling souvenirs and you know, definitely the hot tourist spots. And then there were others that I think most members of the public probably have never seen because it's just not somewhere you could easily get to on your own. So it was definitely fascinating to see those contrasts. Okay. Now, I suppose one one final question is, as someone with epilepsy, do and, and again, I don't know how to quite word this, does it rule your life or do you tend to try and find ways around it to do what you want to do? It kind of depends on the day and, you know, I think everything kind of comes together to make that decision. If you're having a bad day at work and then you start having seizures because you're stressed and you can start hating your epilepsy that day a little bit more than you might other days. Um, but I think overall it certainly sent my life in a direction that I didn't anticipate um, and it's restricted me in certain ways um, but I don't hate it. It's been a very big part of who I am. I just have to be careful going to the pool and I have to be very careful about having a shower at home when I'm home on my own or, you know, um, I can't drive so there's a, a little dint in my independence a little bit but other than that, it's as long as you've got a really good support network around you, I, I think most people are able to find the good around it. And, you know, I've got seizure stories that I crack up laughing at still and people don't understand how I can do that. But, you know, sometimes they really are funny and if you don't laugh, you cry. So I think majority of the epilepsy community probably find the good in there every day and, and work around it and just deal, I think. All right, that's good to hear. Now, is there any final comment you'd like to make just before we finish off the interview? Just that epilepsy is not just what you see in the media. I think that's the, the biggest part of awareness to me is that it's not just falling on the floor, shaking, frothing at the mouth, you know, things like that. There are other types of seizures that are sometimes more dangerous. 
Um, in fact, on our China trip, we had a member of our group who has a particular type of seizure where she walks around and looks like she knows what she's doing and doing it on purpose when really she has no clue what's going on. And then she comes out of it and she's somewhere different with different people, very confused, disoriented. And those can actually be more dangerous. She could easily walk out into traffic one day and people wouldn't know what she was doing, you know. So it's not just what you see in the films. And I think that's a really important thing. No, that, that's that's the thing, certainly from my perspective. Everyone has a, you know, certainly from the from the the TV shows and the movies and things like that. Everyone has a picture of what how 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 epilepsy has been portrayed. But as Carol mentioned to me, there is there are so many different causes, and there's no there's no one one reaction that everyone tends to be different. So um, it's uh, um, it, yeah, it's. It's, I suppose, learning, as you say, you, 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 it's affecting you and you learn to live with it, you learn to cope with it, and uh, you take the care you need to. Um, uh, so that's that's been very interesting. Okay, so we've been talking with Nicole Blizzard about epilepsy and hiking. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Now, in that interview, Nicole talked to us about the impact that epilepsy has on her, and I must admit I tend to think in the realms of Disability, a physical disability or a mental disability uh, or an injury of some sort when I think about hiking, I don't tend to think about things like a disease, which they, which Carol says that that's what they're now calling epilepsy. And, you know, and as I mentioned, from my perspective, I'm one of these people that will wander off into the middle of the bush by myself. Uh, and I think from both Carol's conversation and Nicole's conversation, really what it does come down to is risk management. Um, I think, you know, whatever you do, whether you are uh, a hiker without any conditions or injuries or someone who has epilepsy, you've got to try and think is, okay, if I have a seizure in this case, what needs to happen? And in a lot of cases, it means hiking solo is probably not the option. Um, you know, you probably do need to be have someone with you, and I'm. I, I think from my perspective, I hadn't really associated um, a drop in sugar levels as potentially bringing on a seizure. Yeah, it's an interesting one, but you know, I think you mentioned yourself when you um, get a little bit hungry. Um, you you know, you can become a little bit spaced out, and you know, potentially if you're alone, a little bit dangerous. Um, because of that being spaced out. So, you know, that really brought it home to me around people without obvious conditions need to understand the risk and need to manage uh, what they're doing in those environments. Um, sometimes in some circumstances, almost as much as others do who do have conditions. So, you know, I think this is, I love the idea of uh, those sorts of uh, challenges, not inhibiting people and, you know, not stopping them from getting out, doing what they need to do. Um, and, you know, they talk about the things that they need to know about, that they need to manage. And, you know, I think sometimes maybe some of us need to think about some of those things a little bit more too. Really, it's it's the whole thing is about risk management and what what is acceptable uh, level of risk for you to take on, uh, whether you have a disease or not. And what do you need to do about it? Do you need to limit the hikes you do? Do you need to go hiking with somebody else rather than going hiking solo? These are all considerations you make 
whether you have a condition or not. Okay, that's all for this episode. We hope you've, you, it's been a learning experience for you. It certainly was for me. I, and me. I, I learned a lot about epilepsy that I wasn't aware of. Uh, and really what it does come down to, as we mentioned, is risk management and how you manage whatever injury, illness, disease that you have or don't have um, in planning your hikes. Okay, that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.